Well, good Merry Christmas. Uh, we are at the age in our family life where some of our presents that we give to our children require some explanation. Those were the case when they were little and the bicycle and Lego set spoke for itself, but now they're getting gifts that aren't apparently valuable. So this year, uh, one of my children received a, a gift. It was called, the name of the gift is irrelevant. It was a thermarest. It's a, a camping equipment. And there's a little bit of a bafflement of, hmm, what is this thing? Now, I know it's a great gift because I received that very same gift at the same age uh, that this child received this gift. And I know it's great because I've used it for the past 30 years and I still have it and it still works great. But upon first blush, huh, not exactly what I ordered from Santa Claus and I don't know quite what to do with this gift. So I had to explain it. 12 days of Christmas. Did you know the season of Christmas begins on December 25th and it runs for 12 days? If you ever wondered where that song, the 12 days of Christmas, well, it's a liturgical reference. You and I are supposed to celebrate seeing Christmas carols beginning on December 25th through the 12 great days of Christmas ending on January 5th. And during the season of Christmas, which we are currently in, the goal is unpack the gift. Consider what we have been given. And that's exactly what the passage from Ephesians chapter 1 does. We please turn there in your uh, service leaflet, page 3. You may want to turn there in the Pew Bible, page 917. And as we open God's word, let me begin with a word of prayer. Oh God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Help us to, in some small way, unwrap the gift and, more, and further appreciate what you gave to us on Christmas morning. Amen. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, there are no sermon notes. We had a little change of uh, preaching schedule due to some, uh, uh, well, due to what's been going on out in the world. So uh, no sermon notes. Let me outline this passage for you, and you can follow along. In this passage, I see three things. One, I see the appropriateness of praise. That'll be our first point, the appropriateness of praise. Second point will be uh, the difficulty of praise. And the third point will be the goodness of praise. So the appropriateness of praise. It's a very long passage, a very complex passage. And I find that it's helpful when looking at anything where it's long and complex, is just pause and ask, what is the author saying? Of all the words that he is using in a long passage, complex passage, a lot of clauses, what is the author's main point? That's helpful when reading the Bible. That's helpful when reading, when reading anything. And so here is my summary of the author's main point in chapter 1, verses 3 and 14. The author asserts that God is praiseworthy because of what God has done for us through Christ. Now let me unpack each one of those. God is praiseworthy. The passage begins with this phrase, blessed be God. Now you hear that in a liturgical setting. After we say the Psalms in service, we'll say, blessed be God, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. This is actually a reference, this is taken from the Jewish liturgy, a little bit more on that later. But when we say, blessed be God in uh, worship or the apostle, the author says, blessed be God here, he's not inviting you. He's not saying, come, 
let's worship. No, he's telling you what is. He's telling you God is blessed. God is worthy of praise. He, that's, uh, in other words, this is not invitational. This is simply a statement. God's worthy of praise. Uh, the old thinker, St. Augustine, described virtue as ordo amoris, which means that a good person, a virtuous person, had their loves ordered in a proper way. Right? So you can love ice cream. You can love money. You can love your nation. You can love a lot of things. It's just that those loves have to be ordered in a certain way. You can't love ice cream more than you love your family. You can't love your family more than you love God. So the virtuous person has his love ordered in the proper, gives, gives the proper amount of love to the proper thing. And in this passage begins, we are told that God is worthy of your love, worthy of your praise. Whether you give him your love, your praise is not the point. It's simply stating what is. God, blessed be God. Now why is God blessed? He is blessed because of what he has done for us. Take a look at our passage and note the number of personal pronouns. These are all plural pro pronouns, but chapter uh, 1, verse 3, God has blessed us uh, at the end of, in the middle of verse 3. Beginning of verse 4, he chose us, the middle of verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless. He predestined us, and on and on, the use of plural pronouns. The author is referring to the good things that have been given to him from God. He is including everyone in the church he's writing to, and he's including you and me. God has blessed us. He's been good to us. Further, the blessings that he identifies have all come to him through Christ. So again, back to our passage, he has blessed us how or through what? He has blessed us in Christ. He chose us, verse 4, in him, that we should be uh, predestined for adoption through him. So the blessings that we have received have all come through Christ. He chose us in Christ. He predestined us in Christ. He redeemed us, as the passage will say later uh, in verse 7. He forgave us. He promised us eternity and glory. That's in chapter 1, verses 11 and 13. All these blessings that have come to us have come through Christ. And that, friends, is why we have 12 days. We don't simply stop with the babe in the manger, the sheep lowing the cattle, whatever the cattle do. As, as sweet and as sentimental as it is, you and I must unwrap the gift and see in the babe God's plan for salvation that he, he predestined before the world began. Like, that baby was God's plan for our salvation that he hatched, that's not the right word, that God had in his mind before there was anything. In that baby is the promise of your forgiveness and your redemption to the shedding of his blood. In that babe is the assurance of your eternity with him. When we realize the value of the gift, unpack it just a little bit, the appropriate response is praise. So to our first point, this Bible tells us that praise and thanksgiving is appropriate. Thanks is at the very heart of the Christian faith. One author writes, the person who has forgotten to give thanks has forgotten the language of God. The appropriateness of praise, the appropriateness of thanks. Our first point, our second point, the difficulty. Now, I imagine when I say 
you and I should give thanks to God and be thankful people. No, no one's surprised. Right? That is sort of a low-hanging fruit. The difficult, it's just difficult to give thanks. Most of us are not inclined to be grateful. We have to remind our children, write your thank you notes. Parents, parenthetically, encourage your kids to write thank you notes. It's a lost and dying art. We have to remind ourselves to write thank you notes. You know, there's a story in the Gospels of Jesus healing 10 lepers, and only one leper returns. So 10 people are healed, one person returns. 10%. And I have to say, 10% is about my average. Out of, out of the hundred, out of the numerous opportunities I have to give thanks to God or thanks to people around me, I feel like I'm batting about 10%. We, we just don't do it very well. And this passage gives a little instruction of how you and I can be a little bit better at giving thanks. And I think what this passage suggests is that through meditation, you and I can grow in our gratitude. Meditation. You don't see that word here. It's not listed in the passage, so let me explain. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verses 3 through 14, is one long sentence. It starts with, blessed be God and ends with his glory. One long sentence with commas and semicolons and one clause added after another. And in this one very long sentence, you find numerous things, numerous descriptions of, of what God has done. We've touched on these. He chose us. He predestined us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. Further, this passage tells us why he has done this. He chose us out of his... Um, out of his love for us, verse 4. In love, he predestined us, verse 4. Uh, out of the counsel of his own will, verse 11. From his glorious uh, grace, verse 6. In other words, why did God redeem, bless, uh, choose you and me? Out of his great love, out of his depth of his wisdom out of his abundance of his grace. Further, the passage also tells us not only what God did, why he did it, but how he did it. You see that word, uh, he, he lav with, uh, with lavish generosity. I can't find, uh, oh, verse eight, he lavished upon us, right? So God's grace was given lavishly. What he did, he adopted, he redeemed. Why did he do it? Out of his wisdom, his grace, and his love. How did he do it? With lavish generosity. What is he doing? He's meditating. He is reminding himself. He's, he's not simply saying, God is great, God's good, let us thank him for our food. Amen. He's meditating. He's reminding himself of just how good God is. Just how great his grace is, just how uh, depth, deep his wisdom is. This is a sustained meditation on God's goodness. Meditation from a Christian perspective is not the act of emptying your mind. Maybe you hear meditation, you think sort of, you know, cross-legged, clearing your mind of all thought. No, that's not what meditation is from the Christian perspective. Meditating on God's word is to not empty your mind, but to fill it. And here the author dwells on what God has done for him through Christ. 
Author Tim Keller writes, our fear, our anxiety, our discouragement is due to forgetting God's benefits, forgetting all that he has given us in Christ. Our mind knows, our heart forgets. So let's speak to our hearts, meditate, until our strength is renewed. Meditation is not easy. That's why there's so many apps to encourage it. It's hard work to focus, but it's on meditating and filling your mind, reminding yourself of God's goodness that we are more inclined to give thanks. So the difficulty of thanks, now finally the goodness of thanks. Not only is gratitude and praise good for you, or good, but it is good for you despite its difficulty. So it's a little um, personal anecdote. Uh, I'm a big fan of a song by Toby Keith uh, called Don't Let the Old Man In. And Don't Let the Old Man In, the country song inspired by Toby Keith, was uh, written, was inspired by a movie by Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood played, uh, the movie was called The Mule, and Eastwood played an old man. Clint Eastwood's quite advanced in age, and throughout the movie, Eastwood's character was striving to maintain his youthfulness and his vitality. And so the song, Don't Let the Old Man In. Now don't mishear me. There's not one age that's better or worse than another age. There's good things about youth. There are bad things about youth. There are good things about growing old. And there are bad things about growing old. And what this song identified as some of the... Um, or about being old. And what this song is identifying is some of the, just the, the stereotypical um, things that can accompany old age, like curmudgeonliness, the kind of the get off my lawn attitude. Don't let the old man in. How do you keep the old man out? Jennifer and I, well, I'm turning 48 soon. My kids would already tell you, too late, Dad. <laughs> You're already too grumpy to begin with. <laughs> How do you keep the old man out? Those negative aspects. Yes, we want the wisdom, the perspective that comes. How do you keep the old out? Well, I think gratitude is, there are many ways, but I suggest gratitude is a pretty vital way that you and I keep the old man out. Uh, back to our passage, blessed be God. Before that phrase, blessed be God, was part of a Christian liturgy, it was part of the Jewish liturgy. So Jew, uh, Jewish people of Jesus' day and still Jewish people today would sprinkle their day with short little prayers. These prayers had a, had a name, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but a baraka. And these short little prayers began with the statement, blessed be God. So when someone, a young Jewish person, would rise and put on their clothes, they may say, blessed be God who clothes the naked. When the first trees were seen, the first flowers were seen in spring, maybe they would say, blessed is he who did not omit anything from the world. When they third heard thunder out in the distance, blessed is he whose strength and power fill the world. So these little short phrases, blessed be God. The author is drawing on that as he writes Ephesians. 
And a few verses later in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, the author will say, give thanks to God in all circumstances. And the author, that encouragement is based on this practice within Judaism to sprinkle expressions of gratitude throughout your day. And so as we conclude, I simply want to assert that gratitude and giving thanks is not only good, it is good for you. One way we keep the old man out is to take a page from the playbook of the Jewish roots of our Christian faith and to give thanks to God in all things. When we dress in the morning, when you hear the thunder in the distance, when you see the first sign of springs, when you come to worship and reminded of what God has done through you, through the giving of his son Jesus. So let me conclude. Praise, it is appropriate. Despite its difficulty, it is worth it. It is good for you. It is one of the secrets to youth. So I conclude with this reflection about youthfulness from G.K. Chesterton, who writes, children have an abounding vitality. Therefore, they want things done again and again, unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. Right? They're not strong enough to say thank you again and again. Right? But, Chesterton writes, perhaps God is strong. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has simply never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we.